God has desired to intersect the course of your life today because he wants to communicate very special things to you. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Well, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and let's ask God to bless us now with his Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for being such a good God to us. And we worship you because you are a holy God and a God of mercy at the same time. We thank you, Jesus, that sinners like us can dwell in the presence of purity and holiness. And we ask that every person would be personally communicated to by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, I was looking at something. It was, uh, he's a pastor of a church that's on the East Coast, and it's one of the biggest Adventist churches that's out there. And he says some very interesting things. He's talking about church growth in this in this article that he wrote, and he says this, there are three characteristics that is the pattern of every growing Seventh-day Adventist church. Three characteristics the church is supposed to possess. Are you ready for it? Okay, number one. You ready? This one's going to blow your mind. Members like to attend the service. Now, you just wait a second. You're just thinking to yourself, wait, that, that really doesn't seem that big of a deal. Folks, I want you to think about it, okay? If you like to attend church service, if you like to be part of what God is doing every Sabbath day, then you're going to be blessed. Amen? So this is the first characteristic that the members like to attend the service. I know some people come to church grudgingly, but I want to let you guys know something, that if you come... With joy, God has a very special blessing. Amen? Number two. Are you ready for number two? This is an indication or a characteristic of a growing church. Members like to invite their friends to church. Do you hear that? Members like to invite their friends to church. Look, if church is a place where you can't invite your friends to, then you're in the wrong church. Amen? Because if you're coming to church and Jesus is there, then you're going to invite your friends to be part of that. So church needs to be a place where you love to bring your friends. You know, my sister, she's actually married to a man in San Jose, and I've invited her uh, to come on by. And if she comes on a Saturday, I will absolutely 100% invite my Hindu sister to come to church. You know why? Because I know the people in this church will love her. Amen? So number one... Members like to attend to church service. Number two, they like to invite their friends. Are you ready for number three? This one's going to blow your mind away. And it's not love your pastor. That could be number four. Okay? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. All right. Number three. New people get involved. Amen? New people get involved. Now, where are my lay pastors? Can you raise your hand if you're one of my lay pastors? Okay, we got Mario, we got Chris, Scott, all right, maybe there's somebody else out there. Here's the thing, if you're interested in being involved in the church, and I highly recommend that to you, God has a place for you. I love what Ellen White says, she says, as surely as God has a place for us in heaven, he has a place for us on earth. In other words, he has a position for us to fulfill, fill. amen? And if you're interested, you go find one of our lay pastors and you say, I would love to be part of what God is doing at the Series Seventh-day Adventist Church. Amen? All right, now let me test your memory. What's number one? Church should be a place where what? 
You love to go. Now, how many people love to go to the Series 7 Damage Church? Raise your hand. Amen. I love you guys. Number two. What's number two? Church should be a place where you're willing to bring your friends. Amen? And what's number three? Is a place where you love to get involved. Amen? Amen. Well, folks, tonight or to this morning's sermon is entitled, My Kind of Malachi. My Kind of Malachi. Now, everybody, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the book of Malachi. Malachi is a very interesting book in the Bible. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And generally, when it comes to the book of Malachi, the one thing that comes to everybody's mind is tithe. Right? Whenever you hear the word Malachi, you must think to yourself, well, Linnell's preaching a sermon about tithe. Right? Or whenever you hear the sermon title that has anything to do with Malachi, you immediately assume this sermon is going to be about tithe. And I want to tell you guys today, there will be a portion of this sermon that does deal with tithe. But the majority of this sermon will not deal with tithe. In fact, you're going to see that the book of Malachi, the book of Malachi is a very important and special book for God's end time people. Can you say amen to that? Well, here's some simple facts we need to learn about Malachi. Here they are. Number one, the word Malachi means my messenger. What does it mean? My messenger. Number two, Malachi's name is mentioned only once throughout the entire Bible, and that's Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. There's not too much known about Malachi. In fact, Malachi chapter 1 starts off with the burden of the, of the word of the Lord came to Malachi, to Israel. Okay? So the word Malachi, or the name Malachi, is only mentioned once in all of Scripture, and that's Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. There's no other reference to Malachi throughout the rest of Scripture. Number two, it's the 39th book in the Bible, the last book of the Old Testament. You also discover it's the 17th and the last of 17 books of prophecy. There are certain books in the Old Testament that deal primarily with prophecy, and Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament that leads, that... Uh, uh, regarding prophecy. The fifth thing is that this book is the twelfth and the last of the twelfth minor prophets of the Old Testament. Now here's some interesting facts that a lot of people are unaware of when it comes to the book of Malachi. The last word of the book of Malachi is the word curse. That's actually the very last word of the book of Malachi. The very first verse actually of the Malachi has to deal with this. I have loved you. So notice this, the book of Malachi starts off with this phrase, I have loved you, and the very last word of the book of Malachi is the word curse. Malachi is a very dramatic book. I really enjoyed it, studying it this entire week, and I believe you're going to get a very special blessing out of this. Malachi was actually a prophet during the time of Nehemiah. The children of Israel had just come out of Babylon, and God had sent his people all the way back to Israel, to Judah, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls. There was a great deliverance that took place. However, the people's spirituality became very stagnant. They became indifferent to the Spirit of God. I really believe it's important that we need to, under we need to understand the book of Malachi. Because it's, it's very important to see how right after an evangelistic series or right after this spiritual event or right after some powerful experience you have with God, all of a sudden the temptation can be just to maintain. Just to sort of go on default mode. And just end up in a spirit of indifference. So God sends this extremely uh, potent message through Malachi. And Ma the book of Malachi is very important for us. Number nine, 
in Hebrew, the Hebrew language, actually the third and fourth chapter of the book of Malachi is actually one chapter. One chapter. So there's three main chapters in the book of Malachi. And the third and fourth chapter are actually one. So we're going to cover three main points in the book of Malachi. I really believe that God is going to speak to you through the book of Malachi. Even Jesus himself quoted from the book of Malachi. He was talking about John the Baptist, and he says, This is he of whom it is written, I will send my messenger before the Lord, and he will prepare the way. And that's actually how Malachi chapter 4 ends. Jesus quotes from the book of Malachi, which tells you something, that if Jesus quoted from the book of Malachi, he was studying the book of Malachi. Can you say amen to that? And it's very important, if Jesus was studying the book of Malachi, so should we as God's people. Amen? Now everybody take your Bible, let's go to Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. We're going to go through this rapid fire. You're saying to yourself, is there a time when you never go through rapid fire phase? No, there isn't. We're going through Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. Now if you don't have a Bible, you can pick up one right behind the pew, and you can be a brother and sister next to somebody who doesn't and help them out. We're going to Malachi chapter 1. Are we all there? Amen. Amen. Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate the young men in our church. <laughs> all right, Malachi chapter 1. Let's start with verse 6. Here's what the Bible says right here. A son honors his what? father and a servant his master. The Bible talks off by stating the relationship between a son and a father, between a servant and his master. There's a, a, a relationship of respect, submission, and authority. Let's see what else happens. If then I am the what? Father, where is my what? Honor. God is saying something to the people of God. He says, look, if, if, if a son honors his father in a basic human relationship, he says, if I then am the father, where is my honor? God is communicating something to the people of God, and it's this. He is receiving no honor from his children. Well, let's keep going. If I am a what? Master, where is my, what's that next word? Reverence, says the Lord of hosts. To you, priests who despise my name, now watch this. Yet you say, in which way have we despised your name? The book of Malachi is very interesting because it's full of questions. It's full of what? Questions. God is asking a question or he's restating a question of the people. And then he gives the answer. So he says, you people have been dishonoring me. And then he says, and then you say, in which way have we been dishonoring the Lord? Now watch how God answers the question. Verse 7, you have offered, what's that next word? Defiled food on my altar. But say, in which way have we defiled you? By saying the, temple, the table of the Lord is contemptible, or in other words, despised. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Now it's very interesting. God begins to point out some of the problems of the priest. He is saying this, you guys have despised me. You have placed a dishonor or in a disservice to my kingdom. And he says, the people are saying, in which way have we done this? And he says, look, 
When you guys are offering sacrifices to me, you are bringing the blind, the lame, you are bringing the blemished lambs. In the Old Testament, the people of God were required to bring an unblemished lamb that wasn't lame, that wasn't blind, that had no defects. It was a representation of the perfect righteousness of Christ. But God was telling the people of God, look, what you guys do is you try to find the worst, you try to get away with as least commitment as possible to God, and what you bring to me is the worst of the flock. You know, it's very interesting. I had a, an experience that, where God really pointed that out to me. I had about four or five jackets in my car one day. This was a few years ago. I just was, I'd wear a jacket, I'd just put it in the back. I'd find another jacket, I wouldn't use it after a time, I'd just put it in the back. And one day I was with my friend, and we were working at this place called Domino's Pizza. Okay, you ever heard of that place? You're like, that's our place Saturday night, right after church service ends. And so, here we go. We were there at Domino's Pizza, and this homeless man walks by. And he's there, and we're like, okay, maybe we should help this homeless guy out. Like, okay, let's do it. And I said, I got a jacket for him. So I ran to my car, right? I opened up the back seat, and there was about four or five jackets there. And I thought to myself, which jacket should I give him? And he was waiting there. So you know what I did? I found the worst jacket. Now you're laughing. Wait till you hear the end of the story. So I found the worst jacket. I'm like, I can get rid of this one. And I said, here you go, brother. God bless you. I give him that jacket, and he walks off. And my friend said to me, he looks more homeless than he did before. I was really rebuked that day because I realized something. When it comes to the offerings that the Lord was wanting me to participate in to give, I was not looking to give my best to God. I was looking to give to God what was convenient, what I had available, the stuff that's left over, the residue that's left over after I take care of my business. Folks, I want you to understand something. This was the problem of the priests. They knew that when they were to offer to God the righteousness that he required, they were not to bring the least or the convenient or the blemish or what they had left over. They were required to bring the best. Now think about this. This means if they were bringing the best before God, that would require sacrifice. Hence the word sacrifice. That means they would have to spend a little bit more money, a little bit more time to actually look for the lamb that would be without blemish. And so God here is pointing out iniquity that what the priests were committing. But guess what, folks? We're committing the same iniquity when we bring to God our least. In fact, watch what the reasoning is in Malachi chapter 1 about why we should bring our best. Go to Malachi chapter 1. I want you to see something. God gives the argument and the reason why the people of God should bring their best before God. Malachi chapter 1. Now go all the way to the very end. And go to verse 13. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Verse 14. But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male who takes a vow but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Now watch this. For I am a great what? King. God states, look, when you're bringing this to me, what you are stating to me is that you don't have respect for me. Yes. Now think about this. 
Are you bringing to God the service that would recommend or would be a witness to the rest of the world that you are worshiping a great king? Or is he just a God who you are conveniently worshiping? Folks, I want you to understand something. The very priests that were committing this iniquity, God is telling us today that we're committing the same iniquity. That we're bringing to God our least when we should be bringing to God our best. Do you remember that experiment I did a few weeks ago? You said, I don't remember. I have the memory of a mayfly. That's okay. So do I. Here was this experiment. I said, everybody put your hand in the air. Okay? Put your hand in the air, everybody. Now look up. Make sure you put your hand in the air. You're reaching for the stars. Okay? Put your hands down. Now put your hand up in the air again. Now reach even higher. Put your hand down. Why didn't you do that the first time? The point is this, folks, is that we normally don't bring our best the first time. We bring it the second time or the third time or when we're finally instructed. But folks, if you are worshiping a great king, guess what? You want to bring to God quality. Can you say amen to that? And I appreciate this, church, because it seeks quality, and with that quality comes love. But pay attention to 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 16, in regarding sacrifices. I want you to see the real principle behind the sacrifices. 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 16. And after the Levites left, those from the tribe of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. Folks, I'm going to ask you a question. It's pretty simple. What was the motive behind offering these sacrifices? It was seeking the Lord. Genuinely, legitimately seeking after God. This was the real reason why they sacrificed. And you know what began to take place when they were offering sacrifices that were blemished or sacrifices that were lame or sacrifices of what was left over after everything else was done? It was showing that their principle or the motive behind them offering the sacrifices was diminishing. And what was that? It's truly seeking after God. Folks, let me ask you a good question. Are you really seeking after God today? Or you're just part of the routine? Are you really seeking after God today? Amen. Folks, I was reading the, the story of uh, Zacchaeus this week. I was studying the Bible with somebody. It was so awesome. I realized a point I didn't realize before. Luke chapter 18 talks about the story of Zacchaeus. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus climbed a what? A tree that he might see what? The Lord. He had no desire to actually be involved in a relationship with God. What he wanted really was simply to capture a glimpse of God. And it's very interesting. Jesus stops in the middle of the road and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going over to your house. Zacchaeus came down, was so excited, so blown away that the God of heaven and earth would want to spend time with a sinner like him. At the very end of it, do you know what Jesus says? For the Son of Man did not come to condemn, but to seek and save the lost. Folks, let me ask you a question. Who was really seeking who? Jesus was the one seeking Zacchaeus. And guess what? God is seeking you today. And when you seek after the Lord, when you genuinely follow after God, 
Folks, I want to tell you something. It pleases the heart of God. So many people, once they learn these beautiful truths, so many people, once they go to church for several years, they begin to diminish in their genuine seeking after God. When this evangelistic series was over, we just finished this last week, I was so convicted Monday morning. I was so convicted of this, and it was this. God spoke to me in my devotion and says, Anel, are you genuinely seeking after me? And it blew my heart away. Here I am. I'm doing the evangelistic series. I'm preaching this for God. And God says to me, he has the nerve to say to me. I mean, think about it. Hour after hour, day after day, I was preaching, and he has the nerve to say to me, are you really seeking after me? And when he spoke to my heart, I knew what the answer was. It's so easy to get involved with the work of God and still not seek after the Lord. Folks, I'm going to ask you a question. I want to ask this one more time. Are you genuinely seeking after God? Like, can it be said of you, you are somebody who is genuinely seeking after the Lord? The promise in Hosea is that if you seek after the Lord, he will pour out his latter rain upon you. God is looking for a group of people who will seek after him, who will run after him, who will pursue after God with a passion. And too many times throughout the week, we let everything else come in, and we begin to lose that passion for Jesus. Folks, you need to let this message hit you today. Are you seeking after God? You need to be truly, genuinely seeking after God. We're not going to get into heaven by our works, amen? You've heard that a million times. You should hear about a trillion more times. It's those who truly know the Lord are going to be welcomed in the kingdom. You know why? Because they learned to have a relationship with heaven prior to that time. There's going to be no foreigners who enter into heaven. Amen? There's going to be no foreigners. You have to learn to know Jesus right now. Amen? And so this is extremely important. This was the principle that was behind these diminished sacrifices, these lame sacrifices. They had lost their desire to truly seek after God. And he was saying to them, look, you're bringing to me these lame sacrifices, these blemished sacrifices, these sacrifices that are not with the pure heart. What you are bringing to me is what's left over. And then he says, am I not a great king? Folks, if you are truly worshiping the God of the universe, it ought to be known. Amen? Oh, I got so convicted this week. Let me tell you something. I was so convicted by this. You know what I started doing? And I'll tell you this. I've never done this before. At night, I started opening up the testimonies. And if you want a book that will cut your heart out, you pick up the testimonies. In the morning, I said, okay, God, I also want to behold you. So I started reading the scriptures, started reading each chapter of the book of Malachi a week, and I was reading Desire of Ages to really behold the character and beauty of Christ. But guess what? God spoke to me again. He says, are you really seeking after me? The nerve. Here I am. I'm reading testimonies. How many people ever read testimonies? Raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. And then Desire of Ages. How many people ever read Desire of Ages? You know what I'm talking about. How many people ever read the entire Bible? Amen. Here's the thing, folks. Even after all that, God says, are you really seeking after me? Are you really seeking after me? Folks, guess what? I could say to the end of that. I'm not. You know what God began to really impress upon my heart this week? That if I'm not abiding in Jesus continually, I'm not offering sacrifices of righteousness. Righteousness. 
I'm offering blemished lambs. I'm offering to God what's left over, what's convenient. And the Spirit of God really broke through to me this week and was really pounding into my heart this idea, unless I'm abiding in Jesus, guess what? Everything else I'm doing is having a less of an impact than it really could. You know what, folks? This is extremely important, folks, to understand. Abiding does not come from growing in Jesus. Amen? Growing in Jesus comes from abiding. And that's why Jesus said, unless you abide in me, you cannot bear fruit. You know, I walked into camp meeting this last year. I never forgot, I only heard one thing that John Bradshaw said during the evangelistic series. Nothing else. And I spent time working for the gentleman a few years ago. But there was only one thing that I heard him say, and I was super blessed by it. This is what he said. He said, I used to pray, I used to tell my children when their prayers to ask God to help them to grow. And then he said, I realized something was wrong. I was asking the wrong thing. So he says, now I tell my children to ask Jesus to help them abide in God. And you know what will be the fruit of abiding in God? Growing. Look, Jesus says, this is what you need to do. You simply need to abide in me. You simply need to seek after me. And you know what the fruit of that's going to be? It's going to be this exponential growth. This has got to be more and more the, people of, uh, the experience of the people of God. They've got to learn to abide in God continually. And if you don't know what that means, folks, ask Jesus. He'll show it to you. Say, Lord, teach me how to abide. And he will show it to you. God will show it to you. Now let's go to our second point. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. God here deals with a, a second problem that was occurring in Israel who had become indifferent. Malachi chapter 2. And let's start with verse 10. And I want you to see the, the, the similar beginnings. Malachi chapter 2 starting with verse 10. That's page 929 in your seminar Bible. So this is what it says. Have we not all one what? Father. There's that same phraseology that's being used again. Have not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? What are you talking about, Lord? Let's keep going. By profaning the covenant of the fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Ju Judah has profaned, now watch this, the Lord's holy institution, which he what? Loves. You read the rest of the chapter, you know what it is? What is the holy institution that God loves? It is marriage. Do you know what God says at the very end of Malachi chapter 2? He hates something. He says, I love marriage. It is his holy institution, the Bible says he loves, Malachi chapter 2. You read the very end of Malachi chapter 2, but God says, I hate one thing though. It's called divorce. So Malachi chapter 2 starts off with God saying, I absolutely love marriage. It is my holy institution, but I hate divorce. You know, one day I was really trying to understand this concept of what was taking place. And what was taking place during the time of Israel was that the priests and several of the Israelites were committing two abominations. Number one, they were marrying outside Israel. They were marrying outside Israel. You want to know what the second abomination was? They were divorcing their wives for any reason. And God says, look, you too, he says, based on these two reasonings, he says, you guys are committing an abomination. This is the Lord's holy institution. You know, I was talking to somebody this week. She called me up. She's one of my old students. 
and she was saying, there's this man who, who really wants to be in a relationship with me. He's not Adventist. And I said, okay. I said, let me hear some more. And so she begins to tell me he's the perfect man and that he's a hunk and all these things. You know, and, I, and I'm listening to that, okay? And she says, you know, we do some very special things together. And I go, like, what? She says, I just, I want to tell you, I really think that we're made to be together. And I said, why? She says, because sometimes, she, no joke, she really said this. I really love watching Disney movies. And while my friends want to go watch other movies, I really like watching Disney movies. You know what he told me one day? I said, what? He wanted to watch Disney movies with me. You know, here's the thing, folks. <laughs> We're laughing, but guess what? How many of you have gotten into relationships based upon things like that? Now, I know we've made mistakes in the past, and the Lord forgives, and some of us are in relationships that we wish we never got into. But God loves you nonetheless. Amen? And for those... For those who are not in a relationship, folks, listen to me on this, or who may be in a relationship where you're not married yet, if the individual who you're interested in does not know Jesus, you don't want to be with him. Ellen White says, if you want a place where the shadows of God are never lifted, marry an enemy of God. We could just raise hands right now. We can find out all the single or not single, the married Adventist women who come here by themselves and wish that their husbands were with them. You know what I told this young lady? I told her this, and it finally, I just praised the Lord, it broke through. I said to her, let me ask you a question. Do you want to have kids one day? And she said, yes. I said, do you want to have grandchildren one day? She said, yes. I said, do you care about the future spiritual lives of your children? She said, yes. I said, do you care about the future spiritual lives of your grandchildren and your children's children's children? She said, yes, absolutely. I said, do you care about your future happiness and being involved in church? She said, yes. Then I said, you need to break it off. I said, if you absolutely care about your future, you need to break it off. And it finally struck to her heart. She said, you're right. I do care about my children who aren't even born yet. I care about them. I want them to have a loving father who's going to encourage them in the Lord when they're, when they're sad and brokenhearted. I want a father who's going to encourage them to do what's right instead of what's wrong. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Folks, we need more godly men. The reason why these women are seeking out in the world is because there's not a lot of godly men here. Number two. He said this. Go to Malachi chapter 2. I want you to see what was the second reason behind the marriage problems. Now go all the way to verse 14. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your what? Your youth, whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your what? Companion. The Israelites were making divorces for no reason. And look what he says. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God is saying to the children of Israel, look, don't break up with your wives for any reason. He says, you made a covenant to live and to, to be with them until the very end. Then look what else he says. But did he not make them what? One having a remnant of the spirit. And why one? Pay attention to this. He seeks what? Godly. You know, I was praying about this one day and I was saying, God, 
Help me to understand what is a purpose of marriage. He led me straight to Malachi chapter 2. And what you read from Malachi chapter 2, why God brings two people together, why he makes them one, is because of this reason, that he might seek a godly what? You know what God is wanting? Biological evangelism. You're like, what, does he, what is he talking about? He's wanting godly children from you. Like, God is wanting a godly family, and this is one of the reasons why he brings two people together. Look what it says. That he might seek a godly seed. One of the purposes of marriage was to produce a godly family. So many times we have our motives wrong about why we get married or why we should divorce, and we think it's about ourselves. But I want you to understand something. It isn't about ourselves. God was trying to communicate this to the Israelites. He's saying, look, the reason why you guys are brought together is that you might have a godly family. And there's two points to understand. Number one is this, that God has designed marriage for the institution of producing a godly family. Now, I know there's situations where that's not possible, but your union is extremely important and a witness to this world. Amen? Not just producing godly children, but guess what? He says that he might make them one, that he might seek a godly seed. God is not just interested in biologically producing godly children, but keeping and maintaining godly children. And what's the key? He keeps them one. Your union actually has an effect upon the lives of your children. Did you know that? The spiritual lives of your children is in a great measure determined upon your union with each other. And he says he made them one that he might seek a godly seed. The way you treat your wife and the way you treat your husband actually has an effect upon the spiritual lives of your children. Now, how many husbands came in here very angry at their wives? How many wives came in here very frustrated with their husband? Folks, God wants you to understand something. The purpose of marriage is not happiness. Woo, blow that one away. The purpose of marriage is not happiness. The purpose of marriage is holiness. And you want to know what the byproduct of holiness is? Happiness. The problem is when people seek happiness as the sole reason why they get married, then they end up being sad. But if you seek holiness as the primary purpose of why you get married, in other words, to help that other person become the most best person they can be, and they helping you to become the best person that you can be, when you seek after the holiness, you know what's going to take place? You're going to have a byproduct of happiness. The most happiest marriages I have found is people who work together. Sherry, Scott, do you mind standing up right now? I didn't tell him about this. Scott, you can be over here. You can be by your wife if you want. Okay. Okay, either one, either one. Okay. All right. All right, now how many people believe that Scott and Sherry absolutely love each other? Amen. Do you see it on their faces? Absolutely. Guess what? They're involved in the work of God together. They're involved after seeking holiness. And you know what the byproduct is? See their smiles? Praise the Lord. Amen? I'm not saying it's an easy path, but I am saying if you follow after God's ways, you will be blessed. Can you say amen to that? So number one, God was dealing with his people, telling them you need to bring better sacrifices. Number two, he was telling the people, he says, you need to stay together. Your union has an effect upon this world. And guess what? The Malachi chapter message, Malachi message chapter 4 says that the Elijah message would include fathers turning back to their sons, sons turning back to their fathers. There would be a reunification of the family. And guess what? Seventh-day Adventism should be the very epicenter of healthy families. Can you say amen to that? 
And if you don't have that, pray and ask Jesus and he'll help you in that process. Can you say amen to that? Seek after the Lord's way. And number three, number three, number three, God has one more thing to communicate. Take your Bible, go to Malachi chapter three. I want you to see something. Malachi chapter three, verse two. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a what? Refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. This was a prophecy pointing to the time when Jesus would show up and he would cleanse the Pharisaical sect of Judaism. They would learn to offer sacrifices of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ alone. Let's keep going. Verse 4, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be, what's that next word? Pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, in the former day years. And I will come near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and those who exploit wage earnings and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien or foreigner. God says, when I show up, I'm going to deal with the extortion that was taking place. And sure enough, when Jesus came to that temple, one of the reasons why he chased those people out is because they were exploiting the poor. They were taking advantage of the poor. And so Jesus kicked them out and they were preventing Gentiles and the poor from coming into the holy precincts of the temple. I love what Ellen White says in Desire of Ages that after Jesus chased them all out, the Pharisees slowly came back to the temple and you know what they saw? It utterly blew them away. What they saw was Jesus in the courtyard and all the poor surrounding him. And they were so blown away at the sight. My house shall be a house of prayer for all people. All people. Can you say amen to that? But notice the rest of the verse. Notice the rest of the context. Verse 8. Let's actually start with verse 7. Yet from the days of your father you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. God says, come back. And says the Lord of hosts, but you say, in which way shall we return? Verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in which way have we robbed you? In tithes and what? Offerings. Folks, I want you to understand something. This is very interesting. One of the ways God is calling his people back to him is by taking the step of committing your finances to the Lord. Tithe is actually 10% and offering is anything else you give after that. Tithe is a non-negotiable to the Lord. I know that sometimes people have ideological views that I'm sending my tithe where I want it to go. I want to send my tithe to that conference because our conference isn't faithful. Folks, I want you to understand something. It's not your tithe, it's God's tithe. He chooses the when and the how. Can you say amen to that? And Jesus told the young woman, who, excuse me, an older woman, who offered a widow's mite to a very corrupt temple, he says, guess what? What this woman has done will be remembered. Folks, in this woman's mind was just one principle, and that was to honor the Lord. And so God says, one of the ways you need to come back to me is that you have not been paying your tithes and offerings. And I tried to understand this some more. I was like, what's the big deal about tithes and offerings? And so interesting, Ellen White cones in on this, and she says, your tithe is the very least gratitude you can bring to God. Now think about this. Now how many of us suffer in giving the very least gratitude to God? Sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes at the end of the day when you're just thinking to yourself, wow, is it really important for me to give this 10%? Folks, I want you to understand something. You need to be faithful to God. 
God is calling for people who will be faithful to him. And he says, bring these things into my storehouse, into my house. And if this is truly God's house, guess what? God wants you to support your local congregation. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You grow where you're planted. You support where you're planted. And God has brought you here. He has not brought you to Arizona or New Mexico or Washington. He has brought you to California to Ceres. Amen? And God wants you to be a part of what's taking place here. And he purposely installed you in this place to be part of this. He is trying to teach the people that they need not be selfish with what they have. Selfishness runs through each one of us. Each one of us. And God is trying to purge that of us. And that's one of the reasons why this tithe and offering system has been set up by God. So it teaches us how to give. Because guess what? We naturally don't want to give. We bring the crummy jacket out. And it's worse than it was before. But God says, bring your best to me. Bring your best. If God has really blessed you in your life, then give an offering to the Lord. Give an offering to the Lord. Folks, more and more, every time God blesses me, I think to myself, I don't own a car. I have one car I'm still paying off. I don't have a house I'm buying. I, I, I just make my own wage. I don't even get paid a senior pastor's salary. Folks, I just get paid this, what I got paid, and I don't have all the things in this world. Guess what? I'm still going to be faithful to the Lord because he's called me. Amen? God calls you to be faithful. And by doing so, he's teaching you how not to be selfish with what he has given you. Amen? You know, one day I was at Weimar College, and at Weimar College, you are poorer than poor. Okay? You're surviving only by, by, the, the, by God's goodness and God's grace. And one day God was trying to teach this lesson of selfishness to me, how selfish I was. I found this army sleeping bag, okay? A dusty old army sleeping bag that was found somewhere on campus, one of the closets. And I was so excited because all my friends were going camping and I didn't have a sleeping bag. You grew up in Southern California, you don't have sleeping bags there, okay? You, in motel rooms and on beds. And so I had this sleeping bag and I said, I thought to myself, I can finally go camping. I'm so excited. It was this really big army sleeping bag, really plush. I absolutely loved it. The very next day, there was a student on campus. I'm not going to mention his name. No one knows him. I'm not going to mention his name. He may be listening to this sermon. He's the type of guy that asks for everything. He's the type of guy that when you get, you know, something good to eat, he's like, can I have some? And as soon as he saw me with that sleeping bag, he came up to me and he says, I don't have a sleeping bag for a camping trip that I'm going to eat. Can I have that one? He didn't say borrow. He wanted it. He actually wanted it. And I said, this is the only sleeping bag I have. And he says, oh, okay, and he walks away, and instantly the Spirit of God spoke to me, and he says, Anel, is it really worth it? <laughs> so I called him back, and I'm like, hey, come over here. I said, you can have this sleeping bag. You can absolutely have it. It's not that, it's not that important to me. It's just a sleeping bag. Very next day, no joke, my dean says, you need to go to another part of the college. You need to clean out the closet. Clean out the closet. As soon as I opened up the closet, out fell these tents and sleeping bags all upon me. No joke. It was stacked up. And you know what the dean says to me? He says, you can have whatever you want in there. I walked away with three sleeping bags and two tents. No joke. The day after. You know what God was trying to communicate to me? Anel, you're selfish and let me help you. You know how you're going to stop being selfish is when you learn to give. 
But guess what? You'll discover really quickly you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. And if you're a part of God's people in this community, in this area, God calls you to help support this, to support the work of God in the work of saving souls. Can you say amen to that? We're going to do something very special. We put our offertory at the very end because I really believe it should be a response to the message of God. Can you say amen to that? Robert King's going to play a very special music, but I'd like to have our deacons rise. Now, it's very interesting. When you read the end of Malachi, notice what takes place at the end of Malachi. Look what the Bible says. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord, in other words, this was their response to the message that they just heard from Malachi, spoke to one another. And the Lord, what? Listened and heard them, so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and those who meditate on his name. The people were so excited about the messages that they were hearing from Malachi that they feared God. They turned to one another and they said, like what it says in the book of Acts chapter 2, what shall we do? What shall we do in response to what God has done for us on the cross? What shall we do for God? What shall we give our great king? What shall we offer to the Lord of the universe? What shall be our offering to the God of heaven and earth? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the very strong messages of Malachi. Lord, we know right now your angels are recording the message of our heart, our response. Father in heaven, you really are a great king. You are the king of kings, and we honor and worship you now. May we be like these people, God, who fear you, who love and respect you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.